everyone. And can everyone hear me in the online world? Testing one, two, three, testing. All right then. All right, Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. Important passage where Jesus was giving a parable, and then he gave a very important sermon about himself being the chief cornerstone, as the stone that is important for building his work. And with this building, you can either succeed if you build it right, then you're going to be on Jesus' side, his building work, and you will succeed and you will flourish. But if you're against it, then you're going to fall. And that's what we're going to look at over here at verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did he never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So, I wonder whose side you are on when building a work. There are many people who are building their own work. And that's what we're going to be comparing in the scriptures. I wonder if you're building your own work or you're building God's work. When God built his work, there were several instances on how he built his building, which was called a temple. It was called the temple. And we're going to look at all the instances in the Bible where God built his work through a temple. But we're also going to look through other instances where other people built for themselves. Now, when building a great work, there are people who get motivated and then they unite together depending on how important this building project is to them. And I think with our church, as we uh, pass on to a new chapter, Lord willing, keep praying for that. I thought that this sermon could be important for you and that it should stir our hearts on the motivation and the unity we should have in building God's temple together rather than building for ourselves. And that's what we're going to look at through the scriptures, how people... Throughout the Bible, six instances where they were motivated. Everyone is motivated to build something in their life. And we're going to look at those six instances in the Bible. And it will be verses two things through those six, instance, through those six instances. It will be building for yourself or building for God's temple. And we're going to look through this. It will be a historical sermon. I rarely preach a historical sermon. Those are probably like three or four sermons I preach a historical topic. <coughs> so <coughs> we're going to look throughout the Bible, <coughs> throughout history, how God's temple was built and people's temple were built. And when I talk about God's temple, obviously I'm not talking about just a building for New Testament Christians. Now, in the Old Testament, it is a building, and there are some instances that a church can be a building. We'll see a few instances of that. But mainly in the Bible, the church, when I'm talking about God's temple and church, Jesus said that the temple is his body. And we know the Bible says the body of Christ is the church. And we know that the church is not stuck to one building. It is the assembly of believers. But as I talk about a new building that we're going to in our lives for the Lord. We might think of a structure, and that's okay. But know this is that without, it's an assembly anyways. It's an assembly that meets in a structure. So that's okay if you think that way. In the Bible, just know this is that it's referring to a called out assembly. That's a church, and it's not limited to a building. Thank God, because he could take away the building, right? Yeah, right. Then where is the church after that? But in this message, I want you to see about God's building a ministry, so to speak, and his work compared to building your work. The title of my message is Build a Legacy. Build your legacy. Build your legacy. Let's pray. Father, fill within me the power of your Holy Spirit and the cleansing blood so I can preach what is right. That's all I can pray, Father. It's not much in my prayer, but uh, you're much more than what I can ask or say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, my first point is Satan's tower. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, please. Satan's tower. Uh, 
Notice that the first mention of people saying, hey, let's build something together is when they built Satan's Tower of Babel. So basically, they had a one-world united method, and they all cried out, build back better, build back better, build back better. And so they were going to build something that nothing would stop them in their lives. They're going to build their one world order, a new world order and everything for the devil, for themselves. And nothing, it's important that they were so motivated, they said nothing would stop them. If we look at verse 2, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east <coughs> that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they, say, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. Notice, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. So notice that these people, they were so motivated to team up together, to build back better together, because they had something in their mind that nothing is going to stop us. If you look at verse 4 and 5, they said, we should build together lest we, what? We get divided. We get scattered. And we don't make a name for ourselves. And that's the pointer I hear is that lost unbelievers. And for some of you that are not serving the Lord, but building a work for yourself and teaming up with other people who are not serving the Lord to build something for yourselves. The reason why you're so motivated to do that and so gung ho is because there's something you have inside that's a fear and a spite of something. And you're afraid of what that something might be. Could it be uh, where I know for a lot of people why they don't want to get saved is because my family is going to make fun of me for being a Christian. It's going to be because I, have to, uh, I don't want to serve the Lord because I have to sacrifice something. Oh, I love this sin too much. The point is they're afraid and they have a spite of something so much that they said, no, nothing's going to stop me from building together with these people who are not serving the Lord and nothing's going to stop me. I'm just going to go ahead. I made up my mind. I'm going to build a tower that will reach up to heaven. Why? Because they're afraid of something. They have a spite of something. And you know, that's the problem with us Christians. We don't have that. We don't have a fear of something. Amen. We don't have a spite of something. And that's the reason why the world is so attractable to us. And we go to build the Tower of Babel and then say in our minds, we have a fear and a spite for the ways of God. And that's the reason why I'm more motivated to build the Tower of Babel. But if we were, shouldn't you be here saying, I have a fear and a spite of getting back into the world where the world is going to trap me, brainwash me, and I will be ensnared, and the devil is going to ruin my life, and I just hate sin so much, and I know once I taste it, there's no turning back. I'm afraid of that, and I hate that so much, so nothing's going to stop me from getting my butt off of my seat, dragging myself to church, and hearing some good old-fashioned preaching that'll just kick my sin. That's the reason why what motivates you to come to church, what motivates you to your Bible reading and prayer, why don't you think about, it's because I know I'm going to mess up and sin if I don't read my Bible and pray. I'm literally going to die, and I hate the devil. I hate my flesh, and I hate the world so much, and I'm afraid of what I'm capable of. I'm so afraid of that, so I'm just going to delve into it, read it faithfully, pray faithfully, and then just stay away from sin. I'm not going to even look at sin and touch it, and I'm going to be so motivated to just 
Join my brothers and sisters in Christ and let us build a work together for the Lord. I mean, don't you have that fear? Don't you have that spite of a church that dwindles and then a church that folds and then people who you made friends with, they don't return again and a pastor who quits and souls you no longer see get saved and preach and no longer preach upon this old-fashioned altar. No hymn singing and heart found within this room and no music that lifted up the name of the Lord Jesus. Aren't you afraid of something like that that can happen? Don't you hate it when something like that could happen one day in your life? And that's why, brother and sister in Christ, you should unite with your brethren and say, go to, let us build something for the work of the Lord together. Amen. Because yeah. I'm afraid that if I don't, then my church, something bad's going to happen. The devil started attacking this church so much, but guess what? He just started. And I'm afraid the attacks are going to keep coming even way more and then destroy the church work. We need to gather together and set up and build something for the work of the Lord. Because when we build this work, then we can conquer. Then we can do great things for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do more things and nothing's going to stop me. And in the middle of the process of getting this building for the Lord, we must pray. We must be armed. We must be motivated. Yes, let's get the building for the work of the Lord. Amen. Amen, My second point is simple tabernacle. Look at Exodus 35. Turn to Exodus chapter 35. My second point is simple tabernacle. Simple tabernacle. Now the second instance we see in the Bible of where people try to build a legacy is a small simple tabernacle. Not a huge tall satanic tower. People said back at Genesis 11 we're going to build a legacy, make a name for ourselves. But you know, God's legacy is built differently. It's much more eternal, much more worthwhile, even in a simple tabernacle. Let's look at Exodus chapter 35, and then we'll read verse 4. The Bible says, And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, Mark it down, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. Look at verse 10 through 11. A willing heart is required to build the tabernacle. And every wise-hearted among you shall come, verse 10, and make all that the Lord hath commanded, the tabernacle, his tent and his covering, his tatches and his boards, his bars, his pillars and his sockets. So everyone who has a willing heart got involved to build this simple tabernacle. Look at verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle. Wow, for something so simple, you got people motivated out of their own willingness, free choice. They weren't forced to do it. They had a free choice that, yes, I want to get involved to build this work for the Lord. And then so much that, look at chapter 36, chapter 36, verse 5 through 7. So much so that, look at this, it's amazing. And they spake unto Moses, saying, verse 5 of chapter 36, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. Now notice that this group of people, when they were building something for the Lord, they had a willing heart. They're like, no one forced me to do it. You know, pastor just simply mentioned that a missionary was coming. Pastor just simply mentioned about giving something where we could build something for the Lord's work. And, you know, a project where we can buy 10,000 Bibles for the poor people in India, etc. Pastor just simply mentioned that. That's all he said. He never forced me to. And yeah, I'm going to give what? You, some of you give hundreds. Some of you give thousands. And you give it more abundantly that sometimes I tell my treasure, man, I should tell them to stop giving. That's a little bit too much. Isn't that what a true church should be? Amen. And a true united yeah. desire to build something for the Lord's work should be. Where there's a, everybody's willing heart that they give excessively without hesitation Amen. to the Lord's work. 
You might say, man, how did these Jews do something like that? I have a little difficult time doing that. It won't be too difficult if you can understand what the Jews went through. Some of you forgot the previous chapter. Do you know what happened? The Jews, they took off their valuables and built for themselves. They built a golden calf. And then they saw how God was so angry against that sin and how much it corrupted and hurt their people. They were under so much conviction of their sin. They repented. They felt so guilty because they realized how great and horrible their sin was. They were afraid, actually. They're like, I don't know if the Lord will use me again. But because God was merciful and forgave them, the Jews all of a sudden were so grateful that God overlooked their sin. And then... When Moses says, let's build something for the Lord's work, the Jews were like, yeah, no problem. And they just dumped the money, the gold, the silver, and all that to the Lord's work. Why? Because they remembered the greatness of their sin. And how out of. And that's the reason why they had no problem. Hey, I'm in. I'm all in right here. I'm going to join you to build something great for the Lord. You know why? You should have a desire to unite with this kind of a church and build something for the Lord's work. Simple, if you recall the greatness of your sin. But you don't. You downplayed it. You always take it as a normal thing. You don't realize if, uh, if you looked at the greatness of your sins and how many times you greatly blaspheme the Lord. And not just sin. It's just sin. It's normal. No, if you took it as something like, man, I'm so rotten. I'm so weak. I'm so pathetic. I'm so stubborn. I'm so prideful. I'm so wicked. And yet God is still using me and I don't understand that. Wow, Lord, no problem. Here you go. It was yours anyway to begin with, not mine. You're the one who blessed me with this anyway, not me. So it's not a problem to give that to you. You You know who are the people who tend to serve God more faithfully? Not the ones who lived being spoiled and used to in a world where they, they are like, I want to crave for more sin when they've been used to a spiritual blessing and environment that the Lord has given to them. Those aren't the people who get more grateful and serve God more faithfully. Like Jesus said, it's not the ones who are more righteous or the person who sinned less, it's the one who sinned more greatly. And he felt like he owed a debt more to his master. And if you look at some of the people in our church, you notice that some of them, the reason why they would come to church and drag themselves and make no excuse and read the Bible, pray and stay away and quit their sin and then get involved in building the work of the Lord is because they tasted already the dregs of sin back then. And they knew how wicked their life was. And they realized how many times that they grieved the Holy Spirit of God, hated living for sin so much, and I want to stay away from it. And no problem right there. I'll give to the Lord's work, and I'll give way more to the Lord's work. I'm going to be so hardcore all the right way to the Lord's work. Why? Because I tasted hardcore in the world and sin, and I know how much I hate that, and it was rotten. Uh, My dad said one time, which really touched my heart, is that uh, during the time when he preached for us, that rare time you might recall, he mentioned before he preached that today is the day where I finally outlived uh, living for the devil. What did he mean all his years living for the devil and then lived hardcore to sin? And when he got saved, he was serious. He's like, I don't want to live that way anymore. I hate that so much. I know what it's like over there. That's why he went so hardcore for the Lord and said and made a dedication that the past 30 something years of my life where I lived in sin, I want to make sure that my work for the Lord, my years outnumber that one. And that year was that time where he finally outnumbered his years living in sin. You know how you get a mentality like that to get so zealous and involved in the work of the Lord is that you truly acknowledge the greatness of your sins and how spoiled and rotten that God has blessed you in your life. And by doing that, then you would have a heart to say, no problem right there and give it to the Lord. But you have a problem with seeing, seeing how wrong and how great your sin is. I mean, if you think about it, if you, it's not a problem for anybody, to be honest, if they, ha- if they realize how wrong they've committed against someone. Like, for example, uh, if you're a parent and then you had a wailing baby, but you neglected that baby. I mean, that's a great, huge uh, 
uh, immoral thing to do that even lost unbelievers would say, you never do that. You never neglect the baby. You have to take care of that baby. But then let's say the parent gives up excuses like, oh, I'm just too tired. I'm just too busy. I don't have time. I don't have that much money. Sounds like a Christian, right? Making excuses. I have every good reason not to get involved, but then it's still a great crime, so to speak, and a sin, a wrongdoing to just neglect a wailing baby. You know what I'm going at? I'm going at right here. You got the Holy Spirit inside you, and a lot of you are baby Christians right there, and that Holy Spirit inside you is wailing and being in grief, saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, and you haven't fed him one time with the Scripture and prayer and coming to church and serving the Lord. Instead, you just let that baby wail and wail. And if you realize how great that sin is and what a crime it is, you wouldn't have any problem to say, Lord, let me at least do something to build your work. And you hesitate to do that. Your mind has been corrupted and hardened. You know, even uh, it's not even a building that the Jews were built. The Bible never said build right here. It said make a tabernacle. You might say, why? If you look at all the other instances in the Bible building a temple, it said build, not make. But right here, it said make. Why? Because it's not even a nice building. It's just a small little tent or something. Just a tabernacle. Just a small foundation. But guess what? The people weren't thinking about, oh, a very nice church building. Yeah, I'm going to give a lot of money for that one. No, it's just a small little tent. And they're like, I don't care. I'm going to give up a lot for that kind of a work. You know, no no matter how small you might think of the church that you're in and serving the Lord, and it's pretty base. It doesn't have much. It's not like a great ministry, you know. We're not that popular, you know. We don't make so much of a work for the Lord. I mean, we got probably less than 10 people, some of you might say, and then it's not something where I should dedicate myself to the Lord. No, that's something you should dedicate to the Lord, commit to the Lord, and give so much to build that work. You might say, why? Because if you remember what God took you out of this is that if they realize the greatness of their wrongdoing, they don't care. Chapter 5 and then verse 11. My third point is Solomon's temple. My third point is Solomon's temple. All right. Solomon's temple. First Kings chapter 5 and then we'll look at verse 11. Bible says, And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household and 20 measures of pure oil. Thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. And the lo- notice at chapter 8 and verse 6, chapter 8 and verse 66, chapter 8 and verse 66, On the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king. Now, I don't know if you notice that, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 11, uh, the Bible talks about uh, Solomon where he, uh, he gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat. Why? Because he wanted to build something for the Lord. You'll notice at, uh, let's see right here, verse 18, And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them and the stones squares, so they prepared timber and stones To build the house. Look at verse 17. The king commanded and they brought great stones. If you notice over here, what is very interesting is that the Bible says quite often all throughout that Solomon is the one who made the people to build. But then the credit, it's mostly in the scriptures, is on Solomon. Solomon built. Solomon built. If you read chapter 8, Solomon would say that I built, that I built. Why would the Bible say that? The point is this, is that here's the third instance of the building, and it's God's temple again. We saw a simple tabernacle that was used as God's temple. Now we see Solomon's grand, glorious temple. And why Solomon is mentioned right here for his temple is because he was the one involved who made the people build who influenced and caused the people to build. Now, you would think that the people would think, why are you putting me to work on something that I don't want to do? I'm the one that built it, and oh, I don't want to get involved. Actually, no, the people rejoiced. If you look at verse 66, when he sent the people away, they blessed the king. 
Verse 66 of chapter 8, chapter 8, and went unto their tents joyful and glad of heart. Why in the world when Solomon put them to all the work over there? Because right here, for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David, his servant, and for Israel, his people. These people got united to build this temple, and they didn't feel like they were under pressure or forced, even though Solomon told them to build it. Why, why, why did they happily get involved? Their hearts were joyful because they saw how God was blessing Solomon. And by them uniting with him and building this work, they felt like that they were involved as well. Like, hey, this is God's blessing. God's hand is upon Solomon's work. I want to be a part of that. I want to join that team. I want to be united in that. And they felt like that they were involved with God's blessing when God blessed Solomon. You know, that's the point is that people don't hesitate to unite with a leader if they see that this leader's vision and dream is something so big and they want to be a part of that. And if this leader caused them to, hey, let's build a great work for the Lord, then these people would get happily get involved. And they don't mind about that. They don't feel pressured or forced. They feel like I'm a part of that team. That's what happens is if you see at verse 66, what the Lord had done for David, his servant, and for all his people. If you look at what God's hand is upon his man and what he did from his humble beginnings and what he did through his man through impossible odds and what he did through that man in spite of being a weaker vessel and a weak vessel and a flawed vessel, how God Holy Spirit fell upon that man and mightily used that man and used a man to set up a work, a work where a place of souls in need, dying and going to hell, a place where preachers are compromising and people won't speak out the truth. And if you see God's man involved in that and God's blessing and power behind that man and the fruits he gave through the work and ministry, a person who looks at that will say, hey, no problem, I'll help you in the work. Amen. Amen. You're the leader. Let's do it. All right, I'm going to help you. Leader says, hey, let's build a great work for the Lord. You know what the people do when they look at God's leader? I see God's hand upon this. The Lord's doing something with this. No hesitation right here. Pick me. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I don't care if I'm the one mopping the floors in the room. Let me do it. That's what happens. I recall that, man. I recall that before I became a pastor. I want to help my pastor. I want to help his work and ministry. I want to give the best that I can. And I poured my heart and did my work and did my part until God called me to eventually be a leader of a work one day. And when I started as a leader, it was very awkward where people were serving me and helping me because I was used to serving the people. So it felt so awkward. But the Lord taught me to let it go. Why? So that God's hand can fall upon the people and let the people do their part to serve the work of the Lord, to support their leader that God has set up. Amen. Amen. Bless God. That should motivate you. Why? Because, man, I see God. I recall all those times, Pastor, how God was using you and the vision and the dream you have for this city, for this terrain, for souls to get saved and get spiritual fruits. Man, I want to be a part of that. Amen. And that motivates you to get involved. But you don't. Why? Because you don't think like these people do at verse 66, all the goodness that the Lord has shown upon the people through that man, Solomon. They don't recall. Do you recall? Oh, man, if you've been, I don't know how long you've been here, but if you've been here long enough, you know, you remember. Wow. I'm a walking miracle. I'm a walking miracle. It's so amazing how God would use a simple life like mine, when there are tons of different lives he could have used. Ah! Ah. You know what I am? I'm that person who wants to keep building that simple tabernacle when I think about that. My fourth point, look at Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. Let's look at Ezra chapter 1. My fourth point is second temple. My fourth point is second temple. Now, the fourth instance about people uniting to build a great work is because of the second temple and God's temple again being rebuilt. 
It's being rebuilt. And it became the second temple. Look at why did the people get motivated to rebuild the temple a second time? It's because of what you notice at verse 2. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord. And what happened when he mentioned that? Verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all of them whose spirit God has raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels, etc., etc. You know why the people got united to build the work? You'll notice right here because of verse 5 of a few good men whose spirit was stirred within them to build a work. And these few good men were chief. They were people who had influence or other people felt like a connection or a relationship with. And that's why they got stirred up at verse 6 to help them out. You know how you get people united to build something great is it only takes a few spirit-filled, spirit spirit-stirred individuals. Because when you get a couple of people not just a pastor. It's so easy for a pastor to do that. But when you get normal Joes like you, who suddenly have this passion for the Lord, who went through the same sinful struggles like you did, and who has a similar character and personality, a trait that relates to you, and you see how brave they are and how, what a leap of faith they took to serve something for the Lord, you find more relationship, more consolation with the person who went through the same sufferings, the same experience as you do compared to a pastor. As much as the pastor wants to help out that person, I've learned to let go and let God. And sometimes God will thank God. He uses the people in this church to influence the other people in the church to have a passion to serve the Lord. Amen. That's what you need. That is so important. You don't realize, as I mentioned in the last Sunday sermon, how important you are. I'm just a nobody. Good. We need nobodies to encourage other nobodies to have a heart and a passion to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We need these kind of people. Don't you get excited and stirred up when you hear some of these people who say, yeah, you know, I would drive hours to come here to church. Yeah, that's good. I would have to book a hotel room over here so that in spite of their old spite of family problems that they're going through. You get some people like that. No. You get some person, you know, who comes in and then, you know, who is not really a good person or who just look like a nobody or a plain loser. And here they are. They memorize more scripture than you did or they just want more souls than you did. And you just go, wow, man, I, I want to do something a little bit for the Lord, too whose spirit would be stirred up and that would cause the people to unite yeah. and to build the great work of the Lord. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. So notice that the second temple that is being built, Nehemiah was one of those few good men who motivated the people too. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. So you might say, okay, uh, Pastor, I want to be one of those few good men, but how do I do it? How do I motivate the people? Look what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah 2, verse 12 through 13. 12 through 13. And I arose in the night. I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. I'll tell you how. One, he let God burden his heart by looking at the brokenness of his own people and ministry. And when you look at the broken situations in our community and the people in this church and the need and the need, we need more people to do this in the church. We need more people to do that. And then what happens is, wow, you get all that burden. You get stirred up. And then the, the second is verse 17. Verse 17. You don't hide that burden. You express it to the people. Amen. That's how you motivate other people to get involved. You know, once you have that burden, once you look around, you need to do that first. And when you do that, 
you express that to the people and it comes out more powerfully. It's kind of like preaching. When you have that burden for many, many years and finally you can say it on the pulpit, it comes out more powerfully and vividly. Look at uh, verse 17. Then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. That's what we need. When you get some of these people doing that right over here, man, you know, pastor needs some help over here. Pastor's wife needs some help over there. I see some of the brethren, they're about to quit out on God and they're about to throw in the towel. Man, I I just want to help out. Hey, brother, sister, why don't you help me out over here? We could use some more people for one by one. We need some more people out in street preaching, soul and visitation to preach on this pulpit, to get involved in the nursing work and to just help build a great work for the Lord. Amen. That's what happens. And then you see the next step at verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. Why did they get motivated to unite and build? Because the third step was that Nehemiah encouraged them about positive things to build the wall. He said, hey, I got the king's word right here. We got his word right here. We got all the support we need right here. What's holding us back when there's such a great need out there? So why don't we just use that and help them out? We can do it. We can do it. It's going to be simple. I mean, we got time to do it. It's not much to sacrifice. And, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be something that you can grow more in the Lord. We can protect ourselves. See positive things. And then the person's like, yes, let's do it. And then they go out street preaching with you, visitation with you, and they come to church with you, and they pass out another track with you. They give money with you, and they start to build the next building for the work of the Lord with you. And then, most important, verse 19 through 20. You're going to get these people, 19 through 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Sermit, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that he do? Will he rebel against the king? And what did Nehemiah do? Oh, I just want to be a blessing to them and just don't want to say anything. No, he spoke out at verse 20. You know why? He didn't want the people who heard the critics criticizing the building that they were work for the Lord He didn't want them to hear that and get discouraged. You know what he did? He immediately said, no, don't listen to these people. The Lord is in this work. You know what you need? You're going to get some people over here who are critics of God's work and ministry. And it's so important when they whisper, when they backbite, when they say negative things, that you speak in front of the people who hear it. Hey, no, this is a great work that we're doing for the Lord. We should get involved in this. You need to call it out. Why? Because the critics, it took a few murmurs in the over a million Jews at the wilderness, a few murmurs that caused the whole camp to sin and not enter the promised land. Call out, dismiss the critics in front of the people. You don't have to rebuke a brother and sister. Maybe the, the negative point they make is a genuine concern. And if that be the case, you can't leave it. You got to dismiss that criticism. You got to understand that person's point of view and explain to them, no, the Lord, he is in this because blah, 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 blah. Say it that way. All right. The point is, no matter what criticism it is, deliberate or accidental, we have to dismiss any criticism. We have to dismiss that when we build the work of the Lord together. Amen. Let's look at fifth point, secular treasures. Uh, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Secular treasures. The fifth instance of building is not God's temple this time. It's for yourself. It's for yourself. And it's through the story of the man who saved up treasures. Why? To have a more successful secular life. Look how sad this is, all right? This is the majority of people today. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Uh, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. The Bible says, let's see right here. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Is this you? Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
You know, is that you? That's the majority of people today building for themselves. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this great thing, make a lot of money. And I'm going to make this amount of friends. And I'm going to uh, catch this person in my love life and et cetera, et cetera. That's, they have all of these grandiose plans. Building for themselves, for a secular life. But you know what God says, verse 20? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And Jesus sadly says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's not worth it when you're not united with a cause to build the work of yeah. the Lord. And you're solo and you're like, no, I want to mind my own business. I want to think about myself and build up my own life. No, I don't want to be involved in building a great work for the Lord. You know, it's not worth it in the end right. compared to those who are united to build the work of the Lord. You might say, what's the difference? The bit difference is this. You can't leave a legacy behind. These people can. That's good. Amen. You can't leave a legacy behind. What good is all that? You don't have a legacy, but we do. When you get involved with the work of the Lord, you do leave a legacy behind. Think about it, church. Look, think, look at the chair that you're sitting on, the hymn book that you're singing out of, the number of people that are in this room, the building that's over your head, souls who got saved in this room, missionaries sent out to build more churches. You know where all that is from? You! You did that. You did that because I want to contribute to build the work of the Lord. That's all from you. And guess what? When you die, legacy still marches on. It will continue. That money you gave will speak throughout endless ages of time to many other souls to get saved. That attendance that you give to encourage some other person who can be, will speak out through endless ages of time. We had people here who died and who are a blessing to our church. But guess what? They being dead, yet speaketh, man. Yeah, I'll never forget Brother Chuck. I'll never forget people who are just nobodies and how they impacted, left the legacy behind. But you can't do that when you live for yourself. Amen. You have no legacy. You can save up for your children and everything and family, but guess what? It all turns to dust. Right, right. Me, I leave a legacy behind that will last for eons of ages because I'm building the work of the Lord. I'm not building fallible things that turn to dust. My sixth point, my sixth point is spiritual temple, spiritual temple. We won't turn to these verses for time's sake, but if you recall Matthew 16, 18, when God's temple was built, it wasn't a building this time. Jesus said, upon this rock, his own body, the temple, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right. You know what the greatest Amen. temple is in all of history? Think about this, guys. The greatest temple built in all of history Right here. Wow. You. Don't you realize that? God's temple throughout time, past and gone, built a different temple, different temple. This is a thing that has to last forever. So that's why God says, I have to rapture you up. <laughs> I got to get you out of there. <laughs> because you're a church that's going to last throughout aeons of time. The Bible talks about church throughout endless ages, world without end. Man, this is the greatest temple ever built in all history. Do you realize what building work you're involved with? What team you're involved with? The greatest thing than Solomon's trillion dollar building, it should motivate you. Because what? The exciting things of what God can do with scattered people who are oppressed, who are repressed, who don't have the power, who don't have the social media power outlets with the mass media outlets being restricted, silenced in their voices, government restrictions. They don't have all the degrees or the diplomas that they have in higher universities. It's just simple nobody's picking up a book that is less than a dollar, and that went on for 2,000 years. Amen, brother. Amen. They were the people who got the people out of drunken states. Drug addictions. Oh, yeah. They were the ones who got people victory. They were the ones who t mended broken homes. They were the ones that converted and changed hard-hearted individuals and criminals in prison to hard, unbelieving atheists. They were the ones that put Islam and Catholicism a run for their money. They were the ones. It was the church 
the greatest exciting event of all history and time. A great work where you just tell a person that would change their eternity. Their eternity in less than five minutes. Let me show you how you get saved. Amen. Let me show you what I can do with just a book in my hand. Amen. Amen. I can tell you countless testimonies, countless testimonies, because of too many things the Lord put me through in my life. Even the bad, miserable things in my life, God promised Romans 8, 28. And guess what? They become a part of my story too. Not just excitement and drama and action, and even comedy sometimes in our church. I got all the elements of the movie. I also have tragedy. And guess what? They all blend into a beautiful, exciting story that the Lord uses mightily for His honor and glory. That's the church! Who don't want to get involved in that? Build a great work. But guess what? You can lose out on that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, the Bible says, Jesus Christ, true, He lays the foundation of the work for the church. But you can bail out on that. The church is a group. It will never lose in its greatest work. But you can. Why? Because the church can prosper and succeed while you just jump out of that and you do your own thing. The most tragic story, if you can imagine, if you decide to build for yourself and don't get involved with the Bible-believing church to build the work of the Lord... That's why onlineers, go attend a Bible-believing church if you can, please, in our website. Don't just go to a church. There are plenty of false churches out there. Go to a Bible-believing church. Look at our website. We'll give you the directory over there. Contact us through email. It's the greatest thing in life is to build a work together in the church. Because when you're by yourself, what stories can you unfold to the Lord? And the sad thing is, the tragic story is, when you see that brother and sister in Christ you haven't seen for five years, seven years, ten years, you later catch up with them, and they told you, oh, are we in that small little dinky little room again with uh, five people? And they go, oh, no, the church has grown. Oh, whoa. Yeah, we got about more than a thousand souls saved now. Whoa. Yeah, we got 276,000 subscribers online. Whoa, is that what happened? I need to catch up with the times that you missed out. And we miss you. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. I remember the times when during the, the, the chaos, the coronavirus, government restrictions and everything, that we were able to serve the Lord together. We were able to address the issues, the controversial Amen. issues of today and pass out tracts and be able to win souls to Christ. Amen. And how we conquered trial after trial heartache and tears together and the Lord miraculously pulled us through and then they'll just tell you story after story and then as you hear all of that when you recall back the years of your life you missed out you missed out and that will be the sad thing at the judgment seat of Christ is when you see your family the church brothers and sisters in Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, their stories they share. And we share it together because we built a great work together, guys. And you're that one. You're that one who joins with us. And when it comes to your turn at the judgment seat of Christ, you go, what happened throughout my past 50 years? God's like, tell me your story. I live for myself. Let us build a great work together. Every head bow and every eye shut. The altar call is open. I don't know if the Lord dealt with your heart. Let us build a great work. Let's not build for ourselves. Let's build, build your legacy. Your legacy. We're a church. We're a Bible-believing church. We're in it together. The souls saved. The people who come here. The attacks that we overcame together. The prayers we pulled through together. The laughter and the tears that we share together. We're a legacy, man. <laughs> We're a legacy. What a great work to build together. As we enter a new chapter in our lives, a new building, so to speak. Will you build with me? Will you build with me? Or will you be those losers who built for themselves? who built that 
satanic tower of Babel who leave no legacy behind except damnable sins and a crying soul burning in hell and just promoting the ways of the world where it increases damnation for others. Is that your life? Is that your legacy? I'm so glad to be part of a legacy that the Lord has given to me. And I didn't care if it was just one person in my church. I had a dream and a vision that let's build a work, great work for the Lord. Let's build a great work for the Lord. Build your legacy. It doesn't matter how simple that tabernacle is. If you recall the greatness of your sins, how you lived against the Lord, you don't care how simple that tabernacle is. You just give anything to pay back, to make up for the wrongs you've committed. What is your legacy you're leaving behind? What is your legacy you're leaving behind? Something that can last for eternity, aeons of time. A soul. Nothing is more precious than a soul. A billion dollars is nothing compared to the worth of a soul who burns in hell forever. Heaven and hell hangs in the balance. A soul, a soul, a soul. You're involved in the greatest work. It's where Satan and God, heaven and hell, are grabbing for that one soul. We are building a great work. Will you build along with me? Those of you onlineers, I empathize with you if you don't have a Bible-believing church near you. That's why we're online now. Will you build a work along with us? Thank you for the donations you gave to us. Thank you for the prayers you've given to us. Thank you for just even watching us, just clicking of you, for subscribing, for commenting. It is because of that you're a part of the work along with us. Let us build a great work for the Father. God, I pray that you'll please dismiss today's preaching with your blessing. Convict our hearts and motivate us. Help us to realize we're building a great thing. Help us to be excited, overjoyed. Cast off the Sambalets and the Tobiases, Father. And I pray that we'll be united in one cause. And let us not build with the world. Let us not build for ourselves anymore. Let us build your work. Something that can be a legacy. It is a legacy, Father, and it lasted for 2,000 years. Continue with this small little church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please, church, if there's somebody here you 